Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up and marvel at the monstrous thing that no scientific scholar has been able to identify, classify, or categorize. You may call it grotesque, you might call it an ill of society, but we just call it episode number 40. Listen in if you can stand it, as the episode explores the frightening fun of circuses and carnivals. So, direct your attention to the center ring. Knock down the milk bottles, three tries to win a prize. And keep your arms inside the ride, or you just might lose them. As we take a look at two memorable movies that keep the macabre on the midway, and psychos in the sideshow. Freaks and the Funhouse. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Because, like, I think, like, a bee's nest had been built inside of it or something. Like, something horrible. Mm-hmm. Or it was just full of mud. And he took it home and cleaned it out, and he'll hook it up to the air compressor. And just, I mean, he hasn't done it in years because it sounds literally like a train is in our basement. But, That's uh, fun. We have, he has his own train whistle. <laughs> so, Kat, our spooky gab, where we discuss... Anything horror-related that's happened to us recently usually uh, is something the other one doesn't know, but this time we're both fresh from our subject. Yes, we are. Uh, Hey, folks. We just spent the day filming a a smallish part. Very small part. A cameo, would you say? I've been calling it a cameo to my friends. Okay. A Boys and Ghouls cameo. A Boys and Ghouls cameo in a... Comedy horror movie, mm-hmm. like a 50s throwback. And it's called I Was a Teenage Wear Skunk. And we got the parts because of Boys and Ghouls, which is pretty exciting to both of us. If anybody would like to cameo in a low-budget comedy horror, just put up a podcast. <laughs> Do it for about three years. Do it for about three years. <laughs> really just send it out there and uh, see if somebody, while writing the parts had been listening to our podcast. Um, He'd been listening to our summer camp episode specifically. Yeah, because he's planning to do an 80s slasher. So he was like, I need to learn more about that. And he came across our summer camp episode and liked hearing us and thought we were fun and listened to more episodes and then was like, they'd be really fun for this thing I need to do for my Wear Skunk movie. And I was totally on board when I found out it was a movie within a movie. So the characters in this movie go to the movies and... This is the movie they watch. And the movie they watch is called It Came From Uranus. And the butt jokes don't stop there. They do not stop. It's really all butt jokes. (laughs) All we've done, Kat, all day, 
is butt jokes. That's true. Yeah, Neil, Neil McLaughlin? I've been saying McLaughlin. Yeah, there it is. He told me today, he was like, you know, you don't know people's sense of humor. And he was like, when I sent this to you guys, I just wasn't sure if I was going to get in some enthusiasm from you. He's talking to me specifically. I'm a girl, you know, whatever. But it's, I mean, the script is all butt jokes and about lubing and putting something up my anus and... Uranus. Uranus. Uh-huh. And he was like, I just didn't know if I was going to, if you're going to get a, who do you think I am? I'm not doing that. And I was like, nope, that's, that's exactly my sense of humor. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. playing a, a pair of scientists. Mm-hmm. A pair uh, of astronomers. A, a pair of astronomers. Even. Ass astronomers. <laughs> Two very cheeky astronomers. astronomers. All the good puns occurred to us after we'd finished shooting on the way to our cars. Not all the puns. Some of them were used. True. But, but yes. But ass astronomy. Marshall, you have plenty of experience on movie sets and TV sets, but never quite so leading a role. Am I reaching or is that That's correct. accurate? Whereas you are an actress, I'm not. But I do seem to fall into the occasional acting role just because just living in Los Angeles and like knowing people who have projects, I've caught the eye of a couple people being like, yeah, just come out and say these words. It'll be fine. So now I've acted again. And this time, my crutch or device, in acting, what would you call how much I depended on my pipe? (laughs) I think I would just call that a safety blanket for you. But I think ideally, if you're doing acting well, you're moving past needing something and just using something that really adds to the role, which I would argue your pipe did. I felt it really did. It really did. There was no... I'm glad it made you more comfortable, but it was also very funny and you used it well, so... As a prop that I purchased several years ago for a Mad Men party, where everyone dresses up from the era of Mad Men, I purchased a pipe. And when I got this character, the stuffy scientist kind of guy, I was like, my pipe! I can use a pipe. And I even wrote back to Neil. I was like, sounds great. What's more is, I got a pipe. Yep. And he's like, pipe? Perfect. So when we're in the astronomy laboratory, I'll be holding my pipe. And then later when we're running from the alien... I'm still holding my pipe. That's like right. The pipe never leaves my left hand. <laughs> Except for once I transfer it to my right hand while I get a big glob of lube. Ew. Because that's the way this comedy goes. Which was actually hair gel. So every time I would accidentally get too much hair gel on my fingers, I would just put it in my hair. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't notice Because I had to sort of like fake touch it most of the time. This is because our set was literally made of cardboard. And that's what you get when you make a movie within a movie. If you're making a B-movie in a B-movie, you're getting a cardboard set, mm-hmm. which looked like tons of fun when we walked in. There was like a cardboard telescope and like cardboard doodads and controls with Christmas lights under them. But you got a picture of us that was already put in black and white. Everything we do is going to be in black and white Yeah, for this picture. It looks great. It does. It looks like, to me, not just the laboratory on an Ed Wood movie, but... The Laboratory in Ed Wood, The Movie, which for me is not just a compliment, but like a dream come true. Yeah. I got to say. Absolutely. Me too. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. 
Marshall. So the topic for this episode is circuses and carnivals. Yeah. And and it makes me want to go. That's all. I just want to do that. Please. <laughs> I'm sure you've got great music clips, but you should leave in me singing. Just do 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 dooting. Done. Thanks. And I, I know that you uh, got into the history a little bit of carnivals and circuses, and the two are very close. A lot of bleed over. Mm-hmm. Can you point to like a difference between the I, two? From what I could tell, the difference between a carnival and a circus is that a carnival is going to also have rides. A circus is typically just going to be you go and watch talented people put on a show versus a carnival. You've got games, rides, interactive things, and a freak show might exist at both places. And they would be in like the side show mm-hmm. to the side of the main show. Exactly. Or to the side of all the rides. Yes. Now a little history. What I find interesting and I think is important to point out yeah. is that the modern circus was actually created in England by a man named Philip Astley, who was a formal cavalry sergeant major turned showman. He had served in the Seven Years' War. So we can place this in the mid-1700s. He, right. he was really good at training horses in the cavalry. So he had a remarkable talent for horse breaking and training. And once he was discharged, there were already a lot of horse trick riders in action in Europe. But he joined sure. their ranks and started essentially a circular show. And part of the reason for the circular shape of the show area... The ring? The ring, Which would require a ringmaster? Well, when there's one ring... Not really. Once you start adding rings, which became a thing. Mm. Um, but part of it was so that more people could see, you know, instead of just going in a straight line, you everyone could see at all times what was going on. But part of it was also okay. the trick riders discovered that if the horses were riding in a circle, they could use, like, centrifugal force to stand on them, which became, like, a really signature trick that people would do. I see. Before um, you go one step further, <laughs> I know this is a horror movie podcast, but I just didn't say out loud. We're not just covering circuses and carnivals. We are covering horror movies set in circuses and carnivals. And while I believe every word of this history, I know far less about real carnies and real circus folk, which both have long traditions going back, you said, uh, mid-1700s. Mid-1700s. I know less about them, more about movie carnies right. and movie circus and folk. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of the research I did, in fact, I went I went to a website called Circopedia and they were quick to point out on that website that serious studies of circus history are sparse and known only to a few circus enthusiasts and scholars. And what little the public at large knows is circus history told over the years by imaginative press agents that were representatives of the circus. So Mm -hmm. they were spinning big tales. Sure. And fiction writers, screenwriters, journalists who didn't bother to investigate. So what you're saying where you're like, I have most of my knowledge about this from movies. The general public knowledge is a little bit limited. Just in the terminology, for instance, apparently no one in the circus slash carnival world calls the guy who yells out at people a barker. Ooh, what do they call it? I think they call him a talker or something. I think so, But too. he's not a barker. I have but been... everyone, if someone had asked me before I started doing this research, I would have said, well, that's a carnival barker. See how his head is chopped off. See the blood squirting right up before your very eyes. 
Why, you see this creature. You won't be so stunned if you won't know that you're alive. But, you know, there's there's all that jive that we learn in um, Joyland, for instance. Yeah. Stephen King's Joyland. And you taught me years ago on the podcast what a mark was. I, I was like, what are you saying to me? I didn't understand it. Yeah. So, but, so, but continue. Yeah. By 1770, so we're still talking about Philip Astley. His success as a performer was growing, so he was becoming widely known. He decided to hire other acts to supplement his equestrian shows. Tumblers so and whatnot? Started with, exactly. So it started with just horses, and that's how the modern circus started evolving. But he started bringing in acrobats, rope dancers, jugglers, things like that. No. Also clowns. Beep, beep, Richie. So into the beginning of the 1800s, other people started opening circuses in this style, in what he had sort of started, which is multiple acts. And all over Europe, what started happening is these permanent circuses, which some of which I think even exist today. So rather than the way we know it here in America, which I'll get to in a second, they built permanent structures. Mm. And there evolved circus schools in different places because it became this like prestigious art to participate in. So you'd have like a permanent structure in all the major cities throughout Europe. And by the way, all throughout Europe, the world started becoming globalized in many ways through these circus performers because they would go to different cities and learn different things. There were different acrobatic traditions in places like China versus Russia and all these different traditions. And so people were kind of cross-pollinating in that way. I think that's just an interesting... I never thought about the ways that that had shaped our world, but there you go. There's excitement everywhere. The circus is here. Everyone is headed for the big top to thrill to and cheer the fun makers, daredevils, freaks, and ferocious performing animals. But in America, everything was so spread out. America was so new and people were migrating westward that circuses had to evolve methods really quickly to be able to travel light and fast. So that's that's kind of how things started evolving in America. And then there's a whole lot of history that you can go look into about P.T. Barnum and how animals, you know, people had menageries and P.T. Barnum had his Museum of Oddities and how all these things started merging together to become the modern day circus and or carnival. We didn't lie to you, folks. We told you we had living Breathing I saw it mentioned in some of the things I was reading that freak shows in the 19th century in England and the United States, people started becoming distasteful towards them or finding them distasteful, I guess because of just enlightenment and people going like, this is probably not nice to exploit people. I also get the devil's advocate thing of like, what if they can't make money another way? But my point is now it seems like the modern day freak show is shows like My 600 Pound Life mm-hmm. that people watch to gawk at and go, whoa, that's really messed up. And, and I'm glad I'm not like that or whatever it is that people feel. It just moved on to the air. Of, it did. And it kind of, I think it's often masked as like educational. But I think when there are so many episodes and pretty much the same arc takes place in each episode, it kind of becomes like, it's kind of a freak show. A modern day freak show. Yeah, which makes me a little sad. Yeah, a lot of which would go under the guise of science, by the way. Mm-hmm. And like, learn science by seeing the missing link. And we weren't quick to adopt the theory of evolution, but then once we did, it got kind of ugly. <sighs> then eugenics started. Right. And people would see these freaks as if we just shun these people, 
we can weed them right out of society. Get rid of them, yes. They are abominations. They're wrong. They are, well... Mistakes. I think abomination is going towards God. But then there's the other side who are like, yeah, we do come from monkeys. And those pinheads are just working our evolution backwards. So castrate them. Right. Bringing it back to horror for a moment, or bringing it around to horror. Sure, it's a horror movie podcast. We've we, got to get there sooner or later. <laughs> we view people who are different from us in obvious and physically obvious and not physically obvious ways often as scary because it maybe it's something we don't want to be like or it's something that we recognize in ourselves but can't admit to ourselves and so we ostracize that person it's the it's the idea of the other in its best form and this is just bringing us right into the movie that i know we both watched which is freaks todd browning's freaks Mm -hmm. in its best form it allows people to see other people who were given a real disadvantage in life. You laughed at them, shuddered at them, and yet, but for the accident of birth, you might be even as they are. You got no arms, you eat with your feet. You got no feet either, you can still shave. You can still light a cigarette with your mouth. And isn't that just about the worst, saddest thing you ever saw? Well, here you can see it. And, uh... He looks like he's done pretty good. And I think you can find stories of positivity where it's like it's someone who couldn't find work otherwise. And now they have work. And, the, and it's Not wonderful. Work, and they have a place in the world. And but some of these guys were straight up stars. Absolutely. I think it's important to recognize the ugliness it can head towards. But I also think that when it's empowering of like, hey, look what I can do. And I think freaks, I, I know that reading about Todd Browning's freaks and like, you know, there was a woman who considered suing um mgm mgm because she said she had a miscarriage after watching the movie like it was considered so wrong and exploitive but it's obviously gained a quick cult following but i thought when i was watching it that it was kind of uh and i found this to be true of a lot of other circus movies i watched that they really did a good job of showcasing what everyone could do physically you know like you were mentioning like you're eating with your feet or the human caterpillar that guy they did not ask to be brought into the world but into the world they came there are plenty of people out there who haven't seen freaks so let's uh give an overview first of all the year was 1932 did you know that todd browning joined a circus at 16 the dana gould podcast did like a little segment on him and also recommended a book that i got uh, dark carnival the todd browning story fun Yeah, so that's where I found that out at. And they did talk about how he came from a pretty well-moneyed family, but still took off to join the circus and held many different kinds of jobs in the circus, including being buried alive. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. And Freaks is about a circus in which one of the average-sized women, she's a trapeze, is she a trapeze artist? I believe so. And I'd like to point out that outside of a few quick shots in the beginning of the film, showing them performing in front of crowds, Freak separates itself from every other circus movie I watched and can think of in that it is set almost entirely outside of the performance. I hadn't thought about that. They talk about their performances and we see them perform like a little bit. And we see them exhibiting some of their talents in their downtime. Yeah. Oh, totally. But we don't see them performing a ton. Yeah. Whereas... What's the movie uh, with Jimmy Stewart you watched recently? Oh, The Greatest Show on Earth. Greatest Show on Earth. So much performance in that movie. Yeah, they'll just stop everything, show a performance beginning Ten to end. Of a, yeah, absolutely. Right? And then continue with the film. Whereas Freaks shows you just enough performing to let you know 
their jobs, in case you couldn't guess. And after that, everything is just set within the world of like the caravan or the backstage behind the scenes of the mm -hmm. circus. The movie never stops, so we can watch a whole performance. Although, it does weave in things like um, the human caterpillar. We get to see him perform something that he would do on stage, which is how to roll and light your own cigarette when yes. you have no arms and legs. Uh-huh. I was watching this late at night by myself, and I, I think I said out loud, What? Like, I watched him do this thing, and I was like, this is insane! But that's part of the thing with freak shows. Some of them would do entertaining things, like the Hilton sisters played the saxophone. Both of them. Whereas others would entertain by showing what they can do, like normal, everyday things. Like, watch me shuffle a deck of cards. I don't with need arms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Watch me eat a bowl of cereal. Good work if you can get it. <laughs> so in that sense, we did see them perform their acts. Right. In that way. To me, you're a man. But to her, you're only something to laugh at. The whole circus, they make fun by you and her. Let them laugh. They're swine. I love her. They can't hurt me. So Harry and Daisy Earls are the little people. I think they're German couple. Yeah, my suggestion to everyone is to watch Freaks and then get back to us. Because the following fact always took me out of the scene. And the uh, following fact is that the actor and actress were in real life brother and sister. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. They were part of a family of little people who would entertain under the name the Doll Family. But right? they're meant to be they're meant to be romantically. Yeah, just movie. two dwarves who found each other. Right. And if you look at them, you can really tell. You really can. Sister. Not just because they're tiny people, but because like their faces, they, they got, just look alike. They, they got look that like sort brother of and sister. kind of full chubby cheek face uh -huh. both of them cherubic one might say very much yeah uh -huh. and like what are the odds you would find another cherubic german dwarf <laughs> snatch that girl up and marry her you have so much in common it's almost like you're related right oh wait your brother and sister <laughs> but the male of the two is mm -hmm. quite taken by the glamorous trapeze artist who is a beautiful average sized woman and she overhears i think him speaking about... Frida lets it slip. Oh, sure. Yeah, there you Frida's go. a girl. Hans is, is the, the boy. Uh, that he has come into a great fortune. Family inheritance. Family money, yeah. Of, yeah. And so she, the trapeze artist, what is her... Is her name Cleopatra or something, I think? She goes by Cleopatra. Yeah. She's got a bow. He's Hercules, the strong man. Right. And really, she's just been jerking him around. Get some flowers here, some champagne there. And then they find out that he's got some real money. And then the plot is hatched. The plot is hatched. To marry and him. It's her plot. Uh-huh. She's She's the a brains. devious wench. Yeah. Yeah. So she decides she's gonna marry him and kill him. And then she and Hercules are gonna have all his money. Yep. And poor little Frida is very, very sad as she sees Hans being wooed by this woman and she doesn't like it one bit. And it's rumored kind of like, oh, she only wants him for his money. But there's a wedding. There's a wedding. We don't see the wedding. We see the wedding banquet. And what's sad is that all of the, quote, freaks, as we call them, because that's the title of the movie, mm -hmm. and there's camaraderie to it. They all love each other, and they they are all thrilled at the marriage. Good for Hans. They're so happy for him. And they are looking to celebrate big time, and... Cleopatra is very drunk and loose-lipped, and in a very famous scene, the freaks start chanting, We're going to make you one of us. Yeah. 
Like, we accept Get you. We accept you. One of us. One, one of us. us. Gooba gobba. Gooba gobba. One of us. One of us. Gooba gobba. They're going to make you one of them. So she's drunk, and it starts to freak her out a little bit, and she gets really upset. Yeah, because they all... All right, you know what? I probably wouldn't drink out of a cup that ten other people non-freak <laughs> drunk out of. Agreed. But that, that's more of a modern sensibility. Yeah. I think. I agree. Or I mean, maybe even back then, the days of rampant tuberculosis, it probably wasn't even a good idea to pass around this big cup of champagne, let everybody take a drink, and then it gets passed to me as the last guy and go... Drink up! Right. Which is what they're trying to do to her. Yeah. And she just... She, she's not it's, it. it's a wonderful gesture that she completely rejects and just starts yelling at them. And like, you're all freaks! Dirty, slimy freaks! Get out! And then it goes from bad to just weird. I'd, I'd forgotten about this part. Where they then, <laughs> she then picks up her new husband and dances around with him playing horsey. Against his will, she hoists him upon yeah. her shoulders. The scene ends. It fades to black. With her running in a circle with this sad dwarf on her shoulders. He's... And then the, the strong man grabs one of the uh, conjoined twins' uh, saxophones, like following them around, going, and scene. What did I just watch? Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention that she actually does slip him some poison. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, being, he's being poisoned. She's poisoning him. She doesn't even wait like six months to make sure that no one's going to suspect her or to try to mitigate that. She just She's just like, nah. Wedding night. I'll poison him. Yeah, no sense. Uh... And he gets sick, but he doesn't die. Is that... No, everyone. Do they give him an, an Everyone's on to her enough. She gives him an antidote. And then once he's That's got right. a clean bill of health, she it's goes right back weeks. to poisoning him. That's right. And ultimately, the freaks all rightfully they're suspect. They're, they're keeping an eye on her. Ultimately, they plot an attack upon the lady. They wait for evidence. They don't just do it on suspicion. When they actually get evidence that she's poisoning him, they just come after her like like zombies? Because they're all crawling through the mud. Yeah. In a perfect scenario, their plan would have been carried out during uh, balmy weather when they didn't have to get all muddy. But this is much creepier. Yeah, they're it's all raining. going under caravan wheels and under the caravans. And the guy with no arms and legs has his knife in his teeth. And they're all armed and they're just like coming after her. Their code is a law unto themselves. Offend one, and you offend them all. So yes, Freaks, classified as a horror film, if it had a, a different ending, and it wasn't directed by the director of Dracula, do you think it would have been a horror film? What if the Freaks just came in and went like, hey you, lady. Lady. And she went, I'm going to leave town, and does. It wouldn't really be a horror film. Let's also say she wasn't poisoning him, but she was just marrying him to get his money eventually. Sure. Hoping he would die. Sure. You know, which would still be a very bad it thing. It would be more of a melodrama. Yes. But because in the last 10 minutes of the film, not even, they go on this crazy rain-soaked vengeance where they turn her into a duck lady. And that's where we find her at the end. Which um, is pretty horrifying. Pretty horrifying. I might float the idea, though, also, that even before the horror of the climax, I think there were audience members in the 30s who would have just been really disgusted by people with no arms and legs or people okay. who are I guess, heads. you know what? If you consider the monsters, then it's a horror movie. Yeah. I myself feel a bit like a monster saying, 
why it's hardly a horror movie at all. <laughs> I just see a bunch of people right. up until the end with all those people get knives. But, mm-hmm. all right, I think you just told me I'm enlightened. <laughs> I think I did. Boom! Enlightenment. So I got that going for me, which is nice. So, Kat, we've said this episode will be circuses and carnivals, and there's some blurred lines between the two, but for me, I was particularly excited about the carnival part of it, because I went to one circus once. I think growing that's up. the same for me. I went to the, the Ringling Brothers in Barnum and Bailey Circus, and that was the year they were showing off a real unicorn, which was actually a goat with one horn, but because it had one horn, it was still technically... A unicorn. I'm glad that level of hokum was still flying in the 1980s. And that it didn't just get all weeded out sometime in the 50s. I think that's charming. At the time, a little disappointing. Looking back on it, I'm kind of charmed by it. Behold, the rarest of the rare, the mythological two-headed hound, born with only one head. But carnivals. Carnivals I'd go to about once a year. Mm. And the older you got, the more they sort of took on different meanings. And you were allowed to sort of roam on your own in a carnival. You know, those places are kind of where tweens kind of find their feet, at least like when you're from like a suburban area, that while it was safe enough, you didn't have to stay with your parents, it also felt dangerous. Yeah. And you'd like see kids from other schools and be like, oh, look at those guys. Interborough. What are they doing here? And the girly shows have all gone away, I'd say, from carnivals. And I was talking to you about this recently, surprised just how long they lasted. This being like the tents with the strip shows that would come to town with the carnival. And Well, I didn't, honestly, I didn't really even know that was a thing until I watched Funhouse. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, the show Carnival. On HBO. I never watched I'd like, it. I'd like the stripper tent. Or even um, is Something Wicked This Way Come. Oh, Comes, right. You know? The kids are peeping in. The, the peeping yeah, in. that's true. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. It was basically the only time of year that the residents of a town could get to see some TNA. Because it wasn't in the movies. And this was before every town had its own strip bar. So adults waited for the carnival. Just like the kids. These fellows up here, they only see this once a year, and if they don't see it, they're not going to come back. So uh, go out there and show them what they want to see. They want to see women, and they want to see them just in all the naked glory, just the way Mother Nature made them. And although the girly show was gone, there was always that element of sex in the air. Because if (laughs) the prizes that you would win by, like, popping balloons or whatever you did, a lot of times it would be like, Oh, good job, kid. You popped three balloons. Do you want the uh, picture of the Budweiser girl's asses? Or really? uh, this sexy girl, like, laying across a car? You know, and others would be, like, pop stars. You'd get a picture of Alf or something. I mean, I don't think I ever really experienced that. And I've never been one for carnival games. I've only games. really played the games mostly as an adult. Now that I have an appreciation for Hokum and rigged games. Yeah. Or, or not rigged, but the odds are really against you of ever winning anything ever. Mm-hmm. Except for, like, what's on, like, the smallest shelf. Uh, the big prizes never leave. Anything in this three inches right in here in this area that includes the chiclets but not the erasers. But so the prizes when you were growing up were, like, 
sexy lady pictures? Usually they'd be like on mirrors. That's kind of how they were sold. Or like mini posters and frames. So you could get just a picture of a car or there'd be a picture of like some scantily clad woman on a car. Oh boy, oh boy. Pre-internet. You get it where you can. Sure. And where you could was at the carnival. Wow. Not to mention rides that made you think you were going to die. Yes. So even without movies letting me know that carnivals were spooky places, it already had that kind of element of danger. Yeah. I, I don't even know if anything I just said was really expressing what I wanted to. Well, I was really I, just trying to feel my way through it. I agree with you about that sense of danger. And I think you've hit the nail on the head about a big part of it has to do with only when you're a certain age parents. Yeah. A big part of it has to do with parents letting you loose within the confines of this carnival and it's loud and you know maybe your parents have given you like money to buy some food and like you buy a funnel cake and like just even that is an act of like ooh, i'm having sweets for dinner um, and i came up when uh they would play heavy metal by the way whoa in, it's like that is dangerous welcome to the gravitron while you go at who knows how many miles an hour as you get stuck to the walls and there's something exhilarating about Daring to do these scary things, especially if you're around or near like someone you have a crush on or something, you're like, I'm brave enough to do it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 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 I think that adds to the sex and danger that you were talking about. I almost forgot about that. Seeing girls from school out of school. Yeah. It's like watching Traveling a dog in walk on its hind legs. <laughs> yes. I wish I were big. But, and then that kind of fades as you learn how to drive and then as you get old enough for bars. and That's why we're nostalgic for that particular magic. Yeah. When we go back to why when you see a carnival set up in North Hollywood, you're texting me pictures from outside the spook house or whatever. Yeah. Because you're like, I'm at a carnival. I'm at a carnival. You know, it's exciting. I had dinner at a carnival. It's magical. I've been to three this year. And I would just like to say there's no Fandango for carnivals. You, you know? just have to see them when they when you see yeah. them. They still do have that little bit of magic, which yeah. is there's no centralized database of what car- – you can't just yelp carnivals. Not that I've ever been able to find. And I scream out loud when I see them. Yeah. I drive by and the road's blocked off and suddenly it's like you come into view suddenly and as you look to your right, there's a Ferris wheel and lights and people – and it's <gasps> – Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, I could have taken Cuenca home, but instead I took Vineland, and now there's a carnival. Yes. And and so it's, it's like, you see it, and then you can go to it, or like someone has to tell you about it. But in this day and age, where like every scrap of information is just a couple of tap, tap, taps away. Where's the nearest carnival just isn't one of them. So in that sense, they maintain a certain special uh, status for me. I want to mention before I forget that I was watching um, a small like history channel documentary about freak shows mm-hmm. and they spoke with, I can't remember the guy's name, a guy who was like the last living original like poster painter for the posters that go up oh, to cool. get people into the freak shows. So he was this old guy and he was saying, you know, there are two elements that have to be present in all of these posters, like sex and I can't remember the word, but Mystery? Not quite mystery, but more like dark darkness or, you know, like an element of fear or disgust or whatever. But you have to have those two things. Obviously, I remembered it well enough to be really articulate about it. But but sex. Sex is a huge um, aspect. And the air of danger is also added to by... If it's like a theme park, amusement park that's like stationary and 
always there and regulated. And I'm sure these places are regulated as well. But yeah. they've just slapped it all up in the course of 48 yeah. hours or something. And you're expected to get on a thing that's going to spin you around and, like, maybe kill you. This thing you went don't up know any yesterday. And you're exactly. And you're you're trusting strangers who have put together this rickety piece of tin for you to get spun around and die in. Who will dare to face the challenge of the monster? Who is mad enough to enter that world of darkness? Something is alive in the funhouse. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. The first fun fact about funhouse that I'd like to share is that... Are you talking about the funhouse? The official title is called the funhouse. Thes are important. Indeed. While filming the funhouse... Extras got sick because... I hate this story. I read it too. Please, please go on, but I hate this story. Well, you're only supposed to be on those rides for about four minutes at a time. Like, yeah. like the things and that kind of twirl you around. They stop. They slow down and they stop. And yeah. you get off of them. Sure. And maybe when you're young, you're like, wouldn't it be great if we could just stay on? Yeah. You're always sad when the ride's over. Yeah. You're like, oh. Let's go again. Well, these people got to stay on, and they were on there for like a couple hours, and they I all... I think it was just 20 to 30 minutes. 20 to 30 minutes. Not That's even an hour. That's still an eternity. 30 minutes yeah. on a ride that's just spinning and spinning Then and spinning. it becomes like the vomit comet. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like the and NASA all of testing. Them were sick. And they brought medics and stuff, and everyone was fine. No one ended up having to go to the hospital or anything. Oh, that feels better. And that, that's just one of the stories where you're like... The production is cursed. I also read that Toby Hooper or maybe someone else got bitten by a brown recluse spider. Yeah, Toby Hooper. Uh, looks like we both read the same IMDb trivia. I'm sure. Which also said that the girls in the girly show were local Miami strippers. Which nice. I appreciated because if they made Funhouse today, all the girls in the girly show would be like models. They would all just be like statuesque, yes, they gorgeous would. women. When in reality... And the girly show continued, like, into the 70s, at which point it was at the end of a long tradition. But these weren't always, like, the town's best lookers. These were the town's best lookers who had some kind of a personal trouble and found they could make a life for themselves dancing the Hoochie Coochie show. Now, look, this is a scripted show. It's a burlesque show. This show has been set aside for the men and men only. No ladies and no babies. So, in Funhouse, they come out with just, like, just these beat bathrobes. Which they then take off. I'm like, that is a detail that I'm sure was taken from reality. It mm-hmm. was just tore up bathrobes that they were like, sexy. Oh, bathrobes made out of sadness and broken dreams. But for that night, there were stars. Now, fellas, when the girls leave the stage, they're going to be wearing two things. That's a pair of shoes on their feet. And a big smile on their face. And that was just one of the many things that got seen at the carnival. Which, before they go into the fun house and get into all that trouble, we get a pretty long time in the carnival. Although, much like the experiences I was trying to express, and perhaps that's why I like fun house so much, even well before they go into the fun house and then get the idea to spend the night in the fun house and then witness the murder, and it goes from there. Even before that, 
the carnival contained a certain degree of menace. Yeah. And even though it's there for your fun, and it's populated, I'm sure, by good people, there was still that bit of menace, which was also tied in with budding sexuality because mm-hmm. you're at that age. And in her case, it was this girl. Did you, did you write down the actress's name? Mozart's wife. Yeah. The following oh year, God. she starred as Mozart's way, wife. I watched that entire movie going, she looks so familiar. She just must have one of those faces. And then when I finally went to IMDb and looked at her profile, I was like, oh my God, duh. I've seen Amadeus enough times. <laughs> Elizabeth Barrage. So Elizabeth Barrage plays... Amy Harper. Who is going on a date with like an older guy who's got a job at the gas station. I mean, he's not that old, but he's kind of on the other side. Of where she's heading. He, yeah. he reminds me of like, like kind of like a slightly dangerous Wooderson. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. Yes, <laughs> they do. Yes, they do. And he's not a bad guy, but like he tells off-color jokes that she's not really comfortable with. And he's like, don't she get it? And it's like, she gets it. She just doesn't think you're funny. Right. <laughs> also, Amy seems to be sort of entranced by carnival barkers there will be these shots of these guys three guys by the way all played by the same actor yeah Um, who insisted upon that yeah that that was something he wanted to do you will scream with terror you will beg for release but there will be no escape for there is no release from the we should probably mention that the funhouse is about a girl who goes on a date with this guy we've been talking about. Oh yeah, and to a, a the double carnival. date. Yeah, yeah. Double date to, to the carnival. carnival. Yeah. And and once they're there, she just sort of gets this far away look. Well, I attribute it to she's thinking about the murders because either her mom or her dad mentioned you're not going to that carnival. That's the same carnival where those murders happened. So she's gotten this information that there were bodies that were found and that she's going to the same. Co- so I, that's what I think it's about. You think it, yeah. Okay. That's how I took Maybe. it. Maybe. That when she kind of zoned out watching the Barkers, it was kind of like, you know, she was just remembering that her parents told her not to come there and she's there anyway. And I think maybe she's sensing that general sense of danger at a carnival, but also specifically bodies. And speaking of which, one of the Barkers is for a tent of animal oddities, including a cow with a cleft. And then another cow with two heads. Two-headed cow. When I was watching, I was like, oh my God, that's a real two-headed cow. And then in another room, you know, she's on this date. The date could lead to sex, sex to babies. And meanwhile, there's this deformed baby in a jar sort of off to the side in the animal oddities tent. Uh-huh. They all go and look at it and she just gets creeped out uh-huh. by it. By the way, I have a very vague memory, maybe it's because my brain is blocking it out, of being at like a state fair or a carnival or something and going into some tent that was going to show me something and I can't remember what it was. If it was like a fat lady or a mermaid that's really a woman sitting in some water. With or the mermaid. six foot man eating chicken. I just remember that I was scared to go in and I was probably 13. I was definitely not super, super young. Good age, but I remember kind of being creeped out at It's just that they don't have it out in the open, that you have to pay to go in and then you have to go inside to see what it is. Mm -hmm. That creeped me out a lot. 
That memory, that repressed memory came back to me when I was watching this movie because when, when they went into these tents and were maybe it was some kind of a two-headed animal or something. Who knows? Uh, I feel like it was a person, though. A gorilla girl or something. Something like that. State fairs seem to be hanging on to that tradition longer than traveling carnivals did. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that that hokum is uh, still out there. Yeah. Uh, you just have to know where to find it. Mm-hmm. See the weird freak of nature. Even science can't explain it. It's a radio show. Step right up and witness this hideous mutant. So, but then they say, let's go to the fun house. And the, then the guy with glasses, who he's supposed to be like the smart one, but he just a string of bad ideas comes out of this guy. He's like, let's spend the night in the fun house. Oh. Well, I think pot helps him come to that conclusion, too. All right. Drugs are bad, you guys. Yeah, they, they, they smoke some grass. And, and by then... the way, the fun house is really, when they first go through it, was really fun. Like, I was like, ooh, fun. They're I would love house. to go through a fun house like that fun house because Me too. I've never been in anything that big or that elaborate. And that's movies for you, I guess. <sighs> yeah. Or that has like a second level. Like, it, it took them up. Into the second level. Yeah. So this fun house is very fun. And they decide to have more fun by spending the night there so they can go all the way surrounded by turned off animatronic characters. Hey, when you are a teenager and you are horny, you're not that particular. Ah. <laughs> uh. Mr. Romance. <laughs> While they're in there, though, they find themselves, they're locked in, and then they can see, like, through the slats on the floor, that the guy who was running things with, like, a Frankenstein mask on, which this was Universal Film, mm -hmm. by the way. And he was running things just at the fun house, like, loading people into the cars and... Yeah. Yeah, and dressed like Frankenstein. The guy who had the Frankenstein mask on, who Ke still does, by keeps the way, it on. they watch him pay the fortune teller, who's in her 60s probably, they watch him pay her for sex, and they start to get going with things, and he, like, finishes early, and she's like, well, you're not getting your money back, and it happens to the best of them. He, he gave her $100. Yeah. And then he tries to get the money back and kills her. Yeah. In the process, and then they're like, let's get out of here, and they almost do. And then they got to hide again, and the dad comes in, and he's like, what'd you do? And then he sees that like, the- Like, I could stand for it when you kill townies, but yeah. one so, of so us, so now we, we believe really that done it now. It was this guy in the Frankenstein mask that killed the townie girls back yeah. in whatever town. Then the money's missing, and he was kind of mad about the dead fortune teller, but he's really mad about the money missing. His money, yeah. And then you get one of those just crazy scenes that Toby Hooper- good at just between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films and then this one where he's like, you better hit yourself, boy, because he just goes into like oh. a tantrum and starts hitting himself. He's like, you better hit yourself or I'm gonna... Oh. And that's just hard to watch on any it level. Is. And then it's not long after that we see what's under the mask. We have five dead bodies, two breasts, which we won't be showing, mutant farm animals, strangling, stabbing, shooting, hanging, impaling, drooling, Axe to the head, crowbar to the head, electrocution, mutant branding, sideshow stripping, exhaust fan food. The rest of the film, it's them getting kind of picked off in a fun house. I was really traumatized by the scene where the dad character, where he, they drop the lighter 
and he sees it fall. Mm -hmm. And he's looking up going like, all right, come on out now. And My he goes on now. for a long time. Finders keepers. And, yeah. they, and the kids are just like too smart to even let out a peep. He's like, there's no way out of here except for down here through me. So you might as well come down. I just want to talk to you. And he's being real friendly and they just don't respond. And it goes on for a really long time and it feels really real and it long, creeps yeah. me out. And now the meat of the movie, you might say, now that we've had all this menace and now we've set up that uh, they're going to get hunted through the funnels. Yeah. Which is also scary. I got to say, though, I had more fun with just the setup, like yeah. on our way there. Most definitely. Once they started getting picked off, it was fine. I'll tell you what I did appreciate. Skipping the, let's see, there were four of them and only one survived at the end. So skipping those three deaths. Very often a monster will get killed in what Roger Ebert has referred to as a steam and sparks factory. Yep. Some kind of industrial area where you don't know really what it does except it makes like it's fire. Just, it's got moving parts that it's are It's got dangerous. moving parts and it looks cool and usually it's got a catwalk. Yes. Well, the end of this, you might not know what each thing does, but you know that as a whole, what we're looking at is the, the gear room. The of the beast. Yeah. Of the fun house. Of the fun house. So when we see like a line of hooks... Coming down, we can put together, oh, those head back up into the funhouse. Pull the carts. Pull the cart uh -huh. through the funhouse. Right. They're not just random, sharp objects. And when all the big gears start turning, we know they're not just arbitrary gears. Like, these are gears that run this big funhouse that we've yes. been looking at. And That's I, a good point. I rather like that. And that is where the monster meets his end. And not quickly. I wrote down... I would be a different person if I had seen the climax of this movie as a child. I wrote that sentence down. Because mm. there are parts of it that are a little silly. There's a part where she's she's electrocuted him once or something. Like you said, it goes on for a while. Then she like stands impossibly and unnecessarily close to him. And then when he wakes back up or whatever, he, tries he, to he can pull grab her, into her. It. Yeah. But he, she stays within grabbing distance for a really long time and it's not done very well. So I was just kind of like, bitch, move. Yeah. Watch that, him get bisected from six feet away. Right. So that kind of annoyed me. But the stuff, I mean, just, just the way he looks and... The things she d did to him, like slamming into him with a crowbar and electrocuting him. And the way he writhed in the electricity was just really disturbing. And I just was thinking, there were a lot of movies I caught as a child. There were mm. a lot of movies I saw. I watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space that's, haha, it's funny now, but it's also really disturbing. There were a lot of movies that I saw as a kid that, like, screwed me up good in, in fun and different ways. If I had seen this movie, but specifically this last scene, I, I think I think it would have messed me up in not great ways. Like, I'm not sure. Of, of all the horror that I caught as a kid, I never caught Funhouse. Yeah. I didn't see Funhouse until I was out of college. Um, I'm glad. I'm also, possibly I because it as a kid. it's a good, serviceable horror film, just speaking about it as a whole. But at the time, it didn't like do anything that other movies hadn't already done. Like, it does what it does really well, but it fell short of having the same status as, like, Texas Chainsaw, which, like, the world hadn't seen that before. Or and after this movie, he went on to do Poltergeist, which we have a whole episode dedicated to, and, and that set new standards in the haunted house genre. But Funhouse... There are even direct, like, references to other movies. Oh, yeah, like, at it, the it beginning, starts off... The kid puts on a mask, and he sees, you see his POV through the eye holes, yeah. and it's just like Halloween. I think like, is um, it, and then he he stabs her like in yeah, psycho, and it's like psycho, but it's a rubber knife. Yeah, 
it's possible that at certain stages of development, this movie was not supposed to be as scary as it wound up being. Right. But rather was supposed to be a lot funnier. And then between conception and execution, Funhouse got a lot less fun. Yeah, the beginning of that movie with that bait and switch where it's the kid playing a prank on his older sister. And then the end of the movie where like it's this girl walking dazed out of a Funhouse having just killed like a deformed kid who was trying to murder her. And it's like the sun is coming up and there's this big fat doll thing the fat it ain't over till the fat lady sings over till the fat lady sings and she's not singing she's laughing but it's like this big like doll that's like head is going back and forth and it's going (laughs) and she's just like looking terrified and like wanders off like that's not at all the way the movie opens like the tone of it is so very different so and you might say that the movie takes you for a ride zing i think we're done now I think you've done it. You've put the cap on things. <laughs> well, Kat, circuses and carnivals. Both carnivals and circuses bring with them this similar sense of menace which has been tapped into by movies for about as long as there's been movies and they make a good setting for horror because you've got the element of menace but also tna as you pointed out which is also a big element of horror is uh sexiness circuses and carnivals both come with that level of sex just kind of lurking not always in the shadows. They're Sometimes and decadent. It's, They're places to go, yeah. It's pretty overt. It, Let loose. It did really well in giving people something that they couldn't see in their everyday. And it showed people uh, things that now we kind of get on TV, we get it on reality shows, and we get it in our horror movies. Yes, we do. We are a bunch of freaks. Also, when it comes to uh, things like the fat lady or the tattooed man, depending where you live... You can just see that <laughs> going out the door. <laughs> you no longer have to pay two bits to see uh, certain oddities. It's true. They are no longer for profit. And I want to point out that we didn't really spend any time at all talking about clowns, but I think that's because we're ultimately going to have to do an episode about clowns. And they're an element of circuses and carnivals and things, but I think they deserve... They add to the menace. They, they do. They do. I think they deserve an entire episode all to themselves. Yes. For all you cool rephobes. So thanks, folks, for uh, joining us as we tried to sort out just what that was. What that... That particular dark, type of scary, dark... Kind of sexy... I've found the word menace. I think that's the right in word. In this last hour, and uh, I'm really holding on to it. I think that's the it. word I was looking for when I was trying to describe what the paintings... Um, the artist said, like, all had to include the paintings, the sideshow paintings. Oh, okay. I think it was probably something like sex and menace. I think menace might be a good word to go there. There you go. And we went through a, a couple of films that use that level of menace and sex and excitement and put it to good use. I also, had a good time with this one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a good time. I'm just afraid that at the end of it, at the conclusion of the episode... I don't have a conclusion about circuses. I'm just as uh, as enchanted and find them just as mysteriously alluring, and carnivals, mysteriously alluring, as I did when I started this. And uh, speaking with you, Kat, and with you good listeners, 
hasn't brought me a lot closer to really unraveling why that is. Uh, it's probably just a, a leftover just residue of of uh, youth, really. Yeah, and I think maybe it's such a strong, it's still such a strong feeling because circuses and carnivals, by their very nature, are such a barrage of sight and sound and smell and taste that all, like all of your senses are tied up in those places, all of them. It's not just, I watched that movie and it scared me. It's going to a carnival, you're eating the food and you're smelling and you're touching and you're seeing and you're hearing and everything's just so it, loud. It is a 360 experience. It is. And I think maybe that's why it's so potent. Potent and ripe for us to spend an hour of, uh, of your time, good listener, going through. Okay, um, if you would like to reach us, good people, you can uh, reach us at boysandghouls at gmail.com, or you can uh, find us through Facebook, Twitter, Boys and Ghouls, through Twitter, or check us out on our uh, Tumblr pages or Instagram. Pinterest. We're on Instagram as well, Boys and Ghouls Podcast. Instagram or Pinterest. Uh, we have no real plugs because we spent our gab portion plugging our future project mere hours after we did it mm -hmm. there's a lot of steps between filming and release and we have skipped all of them <laughs> to say we're gonna be in a movie check it out someday um mm -hmm. tune into future episodes and we'll let you know when that is yeah. and how uh you'll be able to watch it i'm pretty pleased that we were able to do that together me too and join us next month you want to uh we usually don't know this far in advance what our next month is going to be but we do this month we do which is horror hosts. I'm so excited. I've been lording my knowledge of horror hosts over Cat basically since we started this project. And you've made me intrigued at the that whole world. And I've never really deeply investigated. So this is a great time. I'm so excited to do it. The hosts of television who would bring us the monster movies and... Well, well, we'll get into that next month. And I think Melissa, Melissa Pluckham mentioned she wanted us to talk about Elvira. What was when that, that, that was for a horror comedies episode, right? And she was like, "You have to talk about Elvira. We're going to talk about Elvira. Yeah. Trust, girl. Trust. We will." And those who came before her, and the few that have come after her, because although she was uh, towards the end of the reign of uh, television horror hosts, she was not the very end. But check that out next month. And in the meantime, beware the moon. Beware. Beware.